and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 328 and the return of Albany State University percussion professor and assistant professor of music, Jillian Baxter. We'll get to her shortly. But first up, classes have begun. The semester started this past Tuesday, and I've had meetings for each of my current run of courses. Spring 2023 brings two sections of oral skills, music history two, and for the first time in five years, percussion for composers. I'm very much looking forward to all of the students I'm going to get to work with this year. It should be a really fun semester. That's not really much of an update, I know. But I'll have more to say in the rave this week about a reunion concert I was able to perform in a couple of weeks ago, which I forgot to talk about last week. So we'll do it to close this week's episode. And with that, let's get to this week's guest, Jillian Baxter. Jillian was a guest on the show as part of the PASIC 2020 episodes when she was part of the PAS diversity panel for that year. We had a full conversation then, and you can find that episode and more about Jillian's background on the podcast website at episode 218. This time around, at PASIC 2022, Jillian moderated and participated in a panel about black women percussionists with herself, Britton Renee Collins, and Camelia Keys. It was a frank and honest discussion about their experiences, which included the ways they have to frequently joke about their own experiences to make everyone else feel comfortable, how they intimidate others by being themselves, how they have to deal with a superwoman complex, and how lonely and isolated they often feel. That really hit. While I conceptually know that this is the case, I didn't really get it until it was spoken in this way at the conference. It was one of many excellent points made throughout that session, and the PAS diversity panels have continued to be one of the most consistent and thought-provoking highlights of PASIC every year. Without a better segue, let's jump right to our conversation with Jillian, where we'll hear more about that PAS diversity panel, professional updates on her end, and a portion of our usual close to the show. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on October 28th, 2022, and it begins right now. All right, so Jillian, tell me what you are presenting at PASIC this year and when you're presenting. This year, we're having a panel discussion. It's part of uh, the Diversity Alliance. Percussion is for everyone. We've had one every year, and it's been very successful. This year, we're featuring Black women percussionists. So really excited about that. Excellent. And who are the other panelists? The other panelists, we're going to have Britton Renee is Collins. You've heard of her before. And uh, Camilla Kiez is going to be our, our main panelist. I'm moderating, but I'm also going to be um, talking within there as well. Do you have connections to those other guests aside from asking them to be part of the panel? Britton Renee Collins, 
my initial was she's in a diversity alliance, so learning her that way. But actually, I, I play here at, with the Albany Symphony, and she actually is a guest performer with our symphony this concert series. Um, so that'll be our, our other connection. We were scheduled to have her in earlier this month, but then when, um, when we had all the weather that came through, we rearranged everything and we moved that concert to February. But she is going to be playing with the symphony. She's going to be playing the Rosaro um, with us. Um, and she's actually going to do a kind of a clinic or speak, you know, here on campus as well that day before the performance with the symphony. So um, as far as Ms. Kiaz, um, most of my association with her was actually when we were doing a spotlight series we did with the Diversity Alliance. We did these different little spotlights and, and introducing people. And one of my best friends said, hey, do you know this person? And, I, and she sent me some of her videos and her social media. I'm like, wow, I want to know this person. Reached out to them and kind of been interacting with them over the last year or so, just getting to know them and kind of already did a mini spotlight for the DA. I never, I'm not totally sure uh, when they, when you all have these panels, if there's a plan uh, beforehand, if, if the, if you give the guest or the panel, other panelists questions, what's kind of the way that you hope to see this uh, come about, I guess, in terms of the conversation and what you are hoping from this uh, particular panel? You know, we have an overall kind of abstract, of, you know, the, what you would see in the book that says this is the description and what we're trying to talk about. But then I do have like a list of questions or different subjects that I kind of design with other people. We look at and say, hey, these are some of the things we'd like to talk about. I have sent those questions in advance to those panelists so they can read through them and, you know, kind of think about them or, you know, some of the topics we're going to talk about, you know, maybe something that they may want to talk about or may not really want to talk about. So giving an opportunity and then I do a kind of pre-checking with those panels to see, hey, how are you feeling about these? Is there anything you really, really passionate about? We'll make sure. Um, and is there something you don't want to talk about? You know, I'll make sure. But then also, is there anything that's not here? that you want to talk about. I want to make sure to give you that room to do that. So that's kind of how um, we work with a panel discussion. You know, here's the ideas. We want your interaction, but it's still very open to go a different direction if needed. Why did it feel like now was the right time for this particular grouping of artists to, you know, come together to talk about this? I, I think, you know, this has been a conversation for a, a while now um, in the Diversity Alliance been saying, hey, we need to feature Black women, we need to feature Black women. Um, and I think we had quite a few people who were really passionate in the Diversity Alliance about um, Black women. And I think over the last few years, we've had so uh, much conversation in you know diversity, equity, inclusion, and there's been so much so many different um, groups and types of people who've been featured. And Black women is one of those groups that we really just don't get to see, especially percussion. We see a lot of men. We may see other women, but we don't get to see Black women. And there's so many great women out here doing things. So I just think that it was just time to, to showcase like, hey, 
these are these awesome women. There are women out here doing this. Let's let's talk about them and let you see them. You know, thinking about your own background, are there obvious and then less obvious reasons why there are so few women in the classical percussion or maybe the um solo percussion or, or something that's that's more percussion featured that there just seems like there are fewer or if they're not fewer they're just less that that are well known to a larger group of people i guess because i i teach music appreciation as well i think about history is in general for women um there's just been this scope of um, the idea of men, male roles and female roles. And throughout time, it's, it seems that at, at different checkpoints, women have had to make a choice. You know, I, I can do the career or I can have the family in this and this and this. And I think that a lot of um, women, I'm just saying globally women, um, end up have are choosing the family and this other, you know, which is not wrong, but to try to balance that with a full on career and all the things that happen, um, our time is not really friendly to help that out. Um, because a lot of times the the mother is the one who's at home taking care of the kids, whereas the father can leave the home and be gone and on tour and this like that. It's not always that way today, but I think just if we look over decades and decades of time, that's what's happened. It's been women had to make a choice. That's what's kind of happened. So that happened with women. And then, you know, as far as we talk about race, I think that as far as classically trained type of musicians, um, we don't have a lot of classical arenas everywhere you know i think if i was i was in we're in georgia so if i was in a northern state you know there are more um symphonies i have more access all these different things opera that i can physically see and go touch and find those teachers but if i'm in the south it's i have to go select cities to see that so unless i'm in that big city that has it there I don't see that. I don't have the resources. So that's why I'm not going to see as many black female percussionists. I'm going to be surrounded by a lot of people who don't look like me and I'll go to a certain point and then I may do something else. And I was thinking I was, I, I, I had forgotten that there was even a, like you're in a, you were mentioning the regional symphony mm -hmm. uh, that you play in and, but you're how far from Atlanta? I can get to Atlanta in about three hours, two and a half to three hours. So you know, traffic. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, so not, and I guess more importantly, not a place you're just going to kind of casually drive to like that's, no. a, that's a distance where you have to make a plan. Exactly. It's interesting to think of someone like Elaine Jones and you know how important she is, but also was she it for, you know, in terms of classical percussion as a as a orchestral performer for for black women for like a long time yeah as far as the listing and people talking about it if you ask somebody they're gonna say elaine jones and then it's gonna be crickets right you know um 
because there's there's not that many out there. But the the interesting thing I have to say is that the more I meet people and talk to people, there there are people out here who've been doing it, but we're so far removed from each other um, that we just don't know we exist to each other. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking how, I mean, you like, like, for instance, you're not that far away from uh, Jessica Williams, no. uh, who's in Alabama, but it's, but it's like, that's still states away. <laughs> like, you know I mean? That's still a few hours uh, to get over to where she is. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's interesting to even think of just, you know, how networks are tough I mean, they can be tough to come by for anybody, but particularly if we're, if we could put that, you know, some of these, like the names that, that come to mind on one hand, like yeah, where, where are we at basically? Yeah, it gets to be very complicated. I mean, even if you take out that one trying grouping, if we talk even collegiately, I mean, I'm thinking yeah. the state of Georgia, you know, we have like 26 uh, University System of Georgia schools but for me to get to make a collaboration with another teacher in another school is not necessarily just next door. So, you know, even in a state, a collaboration may be challenging. Sometimes I'll see, I don't know if like when you travel around the state and like if you meet high school directors and stuff like that, where larger schools or specific schools, it's like there's one person that one kind of person that ends up being at like a large, like a big high school or something like that. And then if you go to like the more rural schools, it gets more diverse, but it's also, it's, it ends up not being where a lot of, uh, like, I think like there's a lot of rural schools in, in Missouri where that's where a lot of the, the women who are band directors are, are band directing as a, as a, as an example. And it's like, I don't think they're getting the opportunity to go for a big position or being looked at or, I don't know. It's a, it's like a I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm I'm maybe spitballing here a little bit, but no, I yeah, I think you're you're really talking about, you know, if we're going from different areas of a particular state, um, where we have, I guess, more city living versus more rural, you know, more country, um, you would see the difference in do I see more male or female um teachers in general. Um, conductors, things of that sort. So I, I think even in, I'm from South Carolina, but I'm right on the border of Georgia is where I'm from. I was blessed to have many of the teachers I actually had were female. My percussion professors, I had a middle school band director that was female. Uh, but past that, I didn't have many other female directors where I saw them. I went to clinics, whether you're talking about Allstate, they just weren't around. You know, it wasn't until many, many years later, I'm starting to see female conductors. And then most of those were not black. Right, you know, right. depending where you, where you are, it can look a certain kind of way. Sure, yeah. Are you beginning to notice um, at all, even in the last few years, um, any any people who are kind of like next generation coming up, who are starting to see you as a as a role model mentor? Even though I know you're you're still early in your career, 
but like, are, are they, are they starting to come to you? Like, Hey, yes. <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Baxter. I, yes. Yeah. I, I think I do see, I have more people who seek me out or call me up or will message me and I'll talk with them or have lessons with them. You know, I, I have had a lot more contact, but I think it's also the era that we are in that everything is more readily seen. So people are able to see, oh, you do exist over here in this world. Uh, whereas maybe before it was, it's hard to find people unless you just physically know them or this person knows this person. Yeah. So social media has helped out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how I know who, who Britain Renee is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she has the most dramatic, uh, maybe, um, photo oh, of yeah. anybody in, in the world right now. I, I, I love her. I love her photos. I know. <laughs> so, uh, so I last talked to you here two years ago. It was actually yeah. kind of still in the midst. So What's been going on for you kind of school-wise, job-wise, anything else uh, since kind of as we slowly get out of this pandemic? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked, yeah, two years ago. It seems like just yesterday, but time has been flying. Now, since I talked to you last, I think when I was talking to you before, I was getting ready for my faculty recital. So I did, you know, do my faculty recital. I did it here on campus in our black box. But I know a lot of people like to use the recital halls and things like that. But I, I love the black box because I was able to do, you know, color lighting. I think I had every song I changed the colors and I had mic. You know, I want to do something different. I just if I'm going to do something, it's just going to be out there. Um, so I, I had my recital. That was great. I was awarded um, an award. I was uh, emerging junior faculty of the year for the for the campus. That was uh, neat. I didn't expect that. So that was exciting. You know, in forecast now, you know, I I am at that point of where I'm going up for a promotion and tenure. That's where I'm in that. If you're thinking about university-wise, I'm in that um, trying to seek that out. So we'll see how that's going to happen um, at the end of the school year. So a lot of, a lot of the big highlights. Is all of your stuff in for the for the promotion, or is that is that coming next year? No, it's in. It was okay, in okay. as of October seventeenth. <laughs> we remember the day when that. Yes, that- remember <laughs> the day. Yes, exactly. I remember it always. <laughs> yeah, you're just like it's over. It's out of my. I just need it out yeah. of my. It's all in, and you know the the interesting thing about it is until. You know, you collect things, you do your portfolio, and but until you actually have to upload all these things, I had no idea how much stuff I really had done or how busy I really was. Everybody outside of me always knows I'm going, going, going. I'm doing 20,000 things. I don't feel that. And so I look at it and I went, my goodness, this is why I'm so tired. You know, I'm, I'm always doing so much. <laughs> Has anything um, within the job, aside from, you know, you going up and continuing your own artistic work, has anything uh, changed job-wise or classes-wise since we last chatted? 
Um, not especially. I, I think the last time we talked, I was teaching um, some theory types of things and piano. Um, at this point, I'm not. You know, we have some other professors that are doing that now. So I, I'm able to focus more on my percussion things. We Still, everybody teaches a music appreciation. But I'm actually helping more with some of the education classes, helping people get ready for practicums. Um, I'm, I've been able to focus back on um, starting our steel pan band back up. So they're excited. We're going to play in our ensemble concert coming up next month. So that's been really neat because I've had pans here and not been able to have people to play them. So I'm excited that I was able to focus back on that and get that going. Was that a uh, scheduling issue or just a personnel? What, what, why, why not? A little, a little bit of both. It was, it was really complicated with all of our ensembles and the rooms and spacing to try to have a dedicated time for steel band. So we've kind of worked it out now. So I, I foresee we're going to keep it going because the kids love it. They are excited about it. It's something new and different. And it's, I think it's always interesting um, the difference between someone playing on marimba versus now playing on a, a, tenor, a lead band. You know, it's just the, the way that someone learns or picks it up, totally different. So I'm enjoying watching that process with the students as well. Have you had a chance? I, I know this is, it seems like this is very new, but have you had a chance to do any gigs at all so they could kind of get used to, to that? Not yet. That's forthcoming. We've already had people say, hey, is the steel band going to come play? I'm like, hold on, let's get a few more things under our belt and then we'll see about that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, what's so great about that, the steel band thing is that I think people just love, they love the sound so much that it almost doesn't matter. It's like, just keep like a boom, 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 boom. Like we just do that in half hour. We have a gig. (laughs) It's just fun. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's always fun. And, and also just, you know, with that in particular, people just love watching other people play them. And then you turn to, you show them the pan, they're like, Whoa, what's all of that in there? How, how do you find the notes? And it's like, that is your conversation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> what, what's been the process of the school kind of reopening and, and getting more onto a more regular footing? I think the interesting thing about my campus is when COVID hit and everybody was completely shutting down, you know, that initial spring, I think it was spring, we hit spring uh, break and we didn't come back. We went virtual. Right. Okay. And then once we hit that fall, a lot of schools never came back. They spent the whole year out. August came for us. We were back in the classroom full force. Uh, people had the option. What we did was we came back where we were kind of hybrid where you would, you know, maybe have a day that was in person, a day that was online, so we could rotate out numbers. So there was not a heavy transition to people not being in school. If that that makes sense. If you were online, you chose to be online when we started back and you just stayed online. But a lot of people came back. They just had to get used to if I have a Monday, Wednesday class, maybe Monday I go to class, Wednesday I'm online or vice versa. 
So the biggest transition for us really was when, you know, this particular year, we're fully, everybody's in person, but we have a lot of online offerings if that's something you want to do. And there are a lot of people who choose to come and they're doing a mix of classes. I do a couple of classes in person and I have some stuff online. Or there are even people who come to school and take online classes, you know, but they're here. So it's been interesting. So the the transitions feels a little bit different for our campus and others. I think the hardest part has been for students that are coming out of, say, high school and they, yeah, they spent a good two years of their lives online and then coming to college and saying, yeah, you got to come to class. Oh, I can come. I have to come to class now. And that trick, that's what's, what's been challenging is getting that under the belt. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're not alone in that. Yeah, I've talked to so many people in so many different states, and it's the same. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how what you're what, what how you think about it. I'm I'm always like I would rather be in the room. That experience is just better. Yeah, I, I always feel like being in person is going to be a better experience. Having that interaction with other people and the professor. I can ask questions in real time. You know, I think that is always better. There's kind of a communication gap that starts to develop when I have to either meet you online or send you emails or call you, you know, and I think it has kind of affected the communication style of everybody now. Yeah. Has that uh, changed anything in terms of because of having kind of the different ways that students are interacting with the classes, has that changed your workload at all? No, it has not changed um, my workload. I have, for instance, if I teach music appreciation, I may have a in-person version of it, or I may have an online version. So I have either or. So at the same I guess time, at this point, yeah, I have. I actually have this semester. I have two music appreciations. I'm teaching one in our university college as part of a learning community, and that's in person. And then I also have an online version of the same class. And at first, I think years ago, you know, when we first talked, it seemed like that would be complicated to have two classes, you know, two different ones. But actually, it's not that complicated. That I don't, it's hard to explain, but it actually runs fairly easy. So, are those actually the same class in two formats, or are they just two totally different classes that are running separately? They are, they're listed as the same class, but they are doing two entirely different things. Like my online version of the class is doing your typical music appreciation, start from like middle ages all the way through current time. So we get a sampling of everything, okay? Whereas my class that's in the University College, we're, we're paired. So my class is actually paired with American history. Oh, so, which is really neat. So our in-person class, we're spending most of our, t- our time talking about, say from 1800, to present because it was American history too. So all the things I featured have been um, those transitions or the music start from 1800. 
But I had to give them some of that foundational. This is where music was, say, in early Europe and you know, not in America to get us here. But the bulk of time is spent on those types of musics. But I use the same foundations, the same here are the elements of music. We're just using different types of music for you to understand it. So. Yeah, that that sounds like fun. Like I, I it want actually, it actually really is. I actually hope I get to teach it like that again. <laughs> so wait, is that listed as as an American history class or as a music class or it's like is it cross listed and they kind it's, of it's actually the, the students that are in my class take both classes at the same time. So they will go to say they go to the their American history teacher Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they come to me Tuesday, Thursday. So they have both of us five days a week, but it's the same students. So they see each other five days a week, but they're just changing classes. But what's neat about it is saying you could go to the American history class on Monday and talk about the Harlem Renaissance. And then you come to my class on Tuesday and I'm I'm carrying over from what you studied in history. But here's the musical side of it and what's being taught and what's being said in the expression. So it's just it just runs together. Has the the student population just uh, in terms of amount have they has that stayed the same gotten more what what have what what have you realized? I thought that with COVID the numbers would go down, but as far as our university, the numbers have been steadily going up. I definitely know in response to when we had hybrid and we had. We increased the number of, you could take online and in-person. It increased the amount of people who were just coming to school. And then this year, we've had even more students who applied to Albany State, um, registered for Albany State. I mean, we have so many more students than we've ever had. And I I anticipate it's going to keep growing. And I think that has a lot to do with the options. You, know, you you have all the in-person and you have the online. I and I know I asked you this last time, but is the is are the numbers coming up from uh people who are closer to the university or is it just kind of like statewide or is it you know like a multi-region where that expansion seems to be coming from? Um I guess it depends on what you consider nearby. We're well, right, yeah, exactly. And because we actually have quite a large populace of people who come from Atlanta, mm-hmm. in which I'm thinking that's not super close, right. but we have a lot of people come down from Atlanta, people come from Augusta, Savannah. I mean, everybody's coming from all around Georgia um, to Albany, but then we're not that far from Florida. So we have people coming up from Florida. We're still not that close, uh, far away from Alabama, rather. So if people come on from Alabama, you know, so we're, we're kind of in that location where we will pull from all of those states, South Carolina, even Tennessee, Florida, Alabama. And then you have that option because we are, um, well, you have neighbor states. So you, for those neighbor locations, you can attend Albany State as an in-state you know, in tuition. So even if I'm out of state, I can come in as in-state student. So that's attractive as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had that when I was when I taught at Lincoln, and it was like, I was yeah. like, we were, can we expand? What are we in neighbor states? <laughs> like, can we go like two states out now? Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. They just have to put a different code in the computer at the admissions. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, no, we, we can do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I gotcha. Are other things? Are you able? I know that you're. You say you're playing in the the symphony that the that's you know local. Is there anything else that you're you've been able to do to kind of keep up? Um, you know your own performance career. Most of the stuff I've been doing has been just independent type of things. I with a lot of the friends that I have that are in different locales, we keep in touch with each other and kind of do different master classes and workshops and things like that. So those kind of collaborations, I kind of still do. And then just personally, I just I just always have music that I just want to learn or I'll take a break for a sec, uh, just a short amount of time and say, okay, what, what am I feeling today? What's the instrument I want to, I think the last time you asked me about what were my, my peak instruments or what, you know, what my favorite, what, and I kept telling you it kind of rotates, you know, so um, I'll, I just, I just like to play, you know, I, I will play just for my own personal enjoyment, whether anybody ever hears me or not. So I think I'm, I just, I like to perform. So I, I just, I'm always performing, but then, you know, I'm, my first instrument was piano, like I told you before. So, you know, I play piano at the church I'm a member of here. So I play there every Sunday. So every Sunday I'm playing piano and then I come to college and I'm teaching percussion and I'm playing percussion. So I, seven days a week, I'm playing something, you know, even if I'm not practicing for a big concert, my hands are going every single day. So even when it's time for me to learn the next big piece, it doesn't take me as long because my hands are, you know, just going, those muscle groups are developing. So it's just like, okay, let's go music. So that's, that's the exciting part. And I think that's, that's something people don't ever talk about, or, you know, you, you don't have those type of conversations, um, just keeping your hands up. So. Yeah. And I, I wonder do you, for you, does doing all of those things um, and and the variance between instrument and piano being involved in there as well is that is is keeping up with that part of your own mental health as well? What do you mean? I want to make sure I'm answering the question correctly. So that that doing those th- that keeping that active on the performance side is is actually not just a physical benefit or it e- it's ease to go from one instrument to the other but it's actually like mentally it, it keeps you in a good place because you're like i'm keeping up with this and i'm yeah because i guess because i just love i love music and i just love to play you know, even if i just got on an instrument and just improvise for you know a couple minutes i just it makes me happy but then I think if I tried to stop playing, it probably would be detrimental to me because my mind goes so fast that I would just keep thinking about these ideas and this, and I could play this, and here's this new song, and if I don't get it out, I probably lose my mind. <laughs> so I got to do it. I frequently, and it sounds like you might be the same way, where sometimes you know, it's like you, even if you play something, like if you go into practice room and you play something really well and nobody's heard it, but you're still like, oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Still got it. There, yeah. I'm, I am my own cheerleader. I'm good. Like I did that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine it's great. Like that's a great feeling to me. Yeah. I, mean, I hope you feel that way too. When, when you, those opportunities. I do. I, you know, a lot, a lot of things happen in the moment 
there's after you've done something for so long, it it can become almost like clockwork. But then I guess the the awesome thing that happens for me sometimes when I'm doing something, I've played this 20,000 times and I'm playing. It's almost like I have an out-of-body experience where I'm like watching myself play. And that's even neat when I it's like I'm talking to myself about this is really awesome. I'm really enjoying this. Oh my God, it's such a you know. It's like I'm on my own audience. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a clip a long time ago where um, where Billy Joel, there, somebody had asked him, like, you know, he's played like his songs for 40, 50 years at this point. And they're like, what goes through your mind when you're playing like Piano Man for the 8 billionth time or something? And he's like, uh, sometimes it's food. Sometimes I'm like, what am I going to have for dinner? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, that's going on his head while he's yes. singing the verses. And it- yes, absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've had times where I'm performing. I think I said before, yeah. I, I could be on stage playing in the audiences there. And I'm like thinking about, oh, wouldn't it be so great to be in Aruba or Hawaii right now? <laughs> and, just, and, and then I have to bring myself back. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're performing. Oh, my God, don't do that. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> which you know, which which can be a great place to be if you're if it's all locked in, and there it could be bad when you come in. You're like, where am I? Am I exactly? <laughs> it's not something I would recommend um, to any of my students or just anybody faint of heart. It that that's a very special thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to do kind of a. Uh, our usual close um, with the random ask questions, but a shortened version. Okay. Uh, some updates here on this one. So a, I know we talked a lot about books and I'm curious if there's been a book you've read in the last couple of years that you've really enjoyed. I have read a couple of different books. The, the most of the last things I've read were still inspirational books. I, you know, that's what we were talking about before. I started on a book called boundaries. I don't know if you've read that. Um, and it's it's really it's really great book uh, because it talks about you know having that space or you know creating I don't know if you want to think of it as walls around yourself but making sure that you keep yourself you know from doing too much or just allowing everybody to take off their time your energy your mental you know all of that kind of stuff so that's that's been a really great book. Um, that I have been going in and out of. A lot of the other books I've read have just really been, like I said, motivational books, inspirational books. I read a lot of T.D. Jakes books like Destiny. So so things like that have been on my shelf or just, you are awesome and this is why a book, you know, that's kind of my jam. Do you find, because, you know, you've, you've mentioned how there are, um, you, you, you are, you very much have like a go, 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 like you're, you're always moving forward, like a book, like, like the boundaries book. Is it, is it helping you say, is it like, like, let's slow down or is it more like, are you sure that everything that you're doing is actually for your benefit? More like the latter, you know, it's okay to be busy if it's benefiting you, but it's, it's really made me sit back in, I think this last year, I've been doing a lot of, of that meditation on, do you really need to do all of this? And, it, and if you want to, that's fine. But is it benefiting you? Is it benefiting somebody else? Are you really enjoying 
what you're doing? Are you doing things that somebody has convinced you that you should do? You know, because I think we have a lot of things that we just mechanically do every day that we feel like it's the right thing to do. But then if you step back and go, why am I doing this? You know, am I doing this because I genuinely feels the right thing to do? I should do it. Or did somebody a long time ago just tell me this is what you should do and you do it like this, boom, boom, boom. I never asked why. And it's just become a reaction. So that's that's what the last year probably of my life, and I'm sure going forward it's going to be, I've just been systematically just, why am I doing that? I really don't even want to do that. Why have I been doing that? What happens if I stop doing that? Hey, it's still good. And let me just put that away, you know? Yeah. And so does that mean I'm less busy? I guess technically. I think I find more pockets of time of just relaxation or I, I actually make myself just chill. You know, I, I have those. Let me just sit down and just watch TV, mindless TV, you know, or I love reading anyway, but oh, this is just my reading time. And I've just taken more time, more of my time back for myself rather than doing for everyone else. I still find that I'm doing just as much, but it's like the percentage of for you versus for me has shifted. And that feels totally different. And I think starting off, that was very challenging for me. So I'm so used to doing so much for, for everyone else. So it almost felt guilty. To, to do things for myself. So that's kind of where I, where I am. So yeah, books like that have helped me to do the shift and be okay with it. And be okay with it. <laughs> that's the important part. You can make a shift, but then you feel bad about it. No, that doesn't work. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. It's, you're finding that even a busy amount for you is not, has has felt, I guess, maybe because it's things you're more interested in, mm-hmm. that it's not felt like it's been busy work. Mm-mm. I think I'm always I'm always going to have a lot to do more than just the average person. I just I like to do things. So I, I love to learn. I love to figure this out. Let me do this. Let me try. So that's just me, and I, that's part of the other part. It's just I know who I am. I I can't look like this person. This is this what I do. But I can control, you know, when I do it, how much of it I do, things like that. So another question is, when you go uh, visit family, wherever that is, or or like where you grew up, or um, is there a food that like you have to get ASAP when you are back there? And like, literally, it's almost like you need people need to not talk to you until you've had that and then we can then you've had it you're like okay now I'm I'm willing to chat and tell you how things go <laughs> that's a great question as of late last times I've been to visit my family there's not a signature I got to have this type of food I think more what happens more of the time is I go home and somebody like my grandmother says hey what are you cooking for me and I end up cooking something for my mom or my grandmother, because they're like, oh, yeah, you're here. Now you can cook this for us. You know, that that's really what happens. I've become more of the, you know, my family comes to visit me. 
I cook for them. I go to visit my family. I cook for them. I'm the one who's cooking. Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, oh, you didn't know that? <laughs> That's not how that was supposed to go. <laughs> I, I know, right? <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. Well, I mean, it seems like you're you're like it's fine. Like I got this. Yeah. It's fine. I think I. I like to cook. I actually enjoy cooking. I think creating something that other people can enjoy is is great. I, I, I even years and years ago, I thought about going to culinary school just for fun. You know, I just wanted to learn how to cook. And then I always love all the cooking shows. You know, I, I'm um, a Bobby Flay fanatic. That was my, you know, I love all his shows. And then I got into Gordon Brandt, you know. I just love watching the cooking shows. So I would sit and just, what are they doing? I would just get in the kitchen and try to cook it. And so that's, that's fun for me. That's kind of like, let me just try this. I, you know, tried to do, um, I do cakes from scratch. And then I just try to do every, you know, just try to do different things. Let me make cookies from scratch. Let me, what happens if I change the flavor on it? I just try stuff just to make it, you know, different. So even now, my students, um, I, I, I don't want to say it's a mistake, but I've, I've cooked for my, my students here. So they always have a special request for me every semester. Dr. Baxter, when are you going to cook this? So now I think I'm supposed to, I got to do some chili and I got to do some pound cake, especially flavored sour cream pound cake or something, you know? So, so it's almost an, uh, is it like a, like an iron chef situation where you go to your, you, you go visit your, your mom and grandma and, and like, it's literally like whatever's in the pantry and then you just have to kind of, you just make it happen. Yeah. I just make it happen. But then as of late, you'll laugh because uh, this last time I came, I knew I was going to have to cook. I brought my pans and my spices and everything with me. Cause I'm like, when I get to your house, mom, your pants just don't speak the way mine do. These yeah. spices that I had don't taste the way yours do. So I'm just gonna bring them with me. Don't be offended, but this, I gotta use my stuff. <laughs> that, no, I, that's, that's, oh my gosh. Well, it's by, uh, my brother and, well, no, actually my sister-in-law's husband, when we all do family vacations, uh, he, he does, he brings his own like knives. And I mean, cause it's like, if you go to, go to like a, a vacation home or something, there's, it's always just a hodgepodge of weird stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. so he's just like, I brought my own knives. I brought my own skillet. Uh, I brought like a, a like a portable oven. Like he brought everything and it was, oh, he brought everything. But see, if you have a good knife, like I have some really beautiful, sharp, uh, Wolfgang puck knives. Yeah. I'm like, I, I just can't use this. It's basic walmart knives i i can't do it i've got to have these yeah well you know it it sounds like you're successful with the food so it's fine i'm sure that everyone's like it's fine like you're gonna make as as long as you're cooking something we get to eat it we're good yeah yeah, exactly yeah yeah what's uh is is chili a like a, a one of your signature dishes at this point yeah i do i do a pretty good job of that and I'll I'll do like a crock pot version of it, but then I have students here that are some are vegetarian, some are not. So I'll always do a vegetarian chili and one with meat. And I think the first time I made it, the students who were vegetarian were just shocked that I took the time to do something specially for them. And I treat vegetables the same way I treat meat, you know. So I'm like, I give it the same look. And they're like, wow, we couldn't even tell. 
that it didn't have meat in it. I'm like, yeah, because vegetables deserve love too. <laughs> Any of your specialties that you've been making uh, seafood based? I have to believe yes on this. Of course. <laughs> I mean, um, I cook a lot of salmon. I you know I saute a lot of that. I've tried different ways, but I think my best version is on the on the stove top. I you know saute it, get a nice little uh, grill on both sides and flavors. I'll do shrimp. Um, I don't think my shrimp is as great as it could be, so I'm, I'm going to keep working on that. But I did just this last week. I did like a stir fry with chicken and shrimp, and that that turned out pretty awesome. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Do you have a go-to karaoke song? No. You know, I really don't do karaoke that much. I think I just don't get the opportunity to. So I haven't thought about it. So no. Hmm. What would it be? One. What 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 would it be? Let's just let's just act like you you I will survive. (laughs) Excellent. Yes, that's a good. One. You can get see you can get you can get everybody rolling with you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> oh, that's that's super good. Yeah, very cool. Is there is there a place that you want to um, that you're hoping to travel to soon? I don't have a specific place in mind. I think I just want to go somewhere different. You know, see something I haven't seen before. I've been wanting or, you know, even with my family, wanting just to go back to even like the Smithsonian's. I've been wanting to go see the African-American Museum. But even things even broader, like you know, I've never been to the Rocky Mountains and, you know, things that you read about and you see. I, I want to actually see it in person. So I probably will start with something closer you know, something, yeah, maybe as far as D.C., that's the plan, and then expand a little farther out west. Is there a TV show that you you could, that you, like, if you're, just need, like, a pick-me-up, and you're, you're like, flipping through, or you're just searching for it on the very streaming service, you're like, that's your go-to, like, I'm putting this on because I need it right now. <laughs> That's a funny question. I think right now, you know, I'm on Hulu and right now I'm going back and watching like the whole series of Scandal. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, because I I don't know why I didn't watch it when it originally came out. I'm, my mother was talking about how great it was. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then I just started watching it and I just can't stop. I'm just watching it like in the morning and afternoon and night, I got to go home. When I leave talking to you, I'm going to go home and watch the episode of Skin. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's great. Is it, is it, uh, will you like talk to your mom be like, can you believe? And, and it's like, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> and you're and like, no, I exactly. <laughs> exactly. And she'll, she'll probably be able to run down. Oh yes. Yeah. I know I watched it 10 years ago, but she'll be able to tell me the whole storyline along with me. <laughs> Yes. That's Most good. of the time it just ends up being, Mom, why didn't you tell me? You should have told me. But she, she's really good now about calling me in real time and saying, have you seen such and such? And I'll go watch it like, thanks, Mom. This is great. So I do the same for her as well. Nice. 
Well, speaking of which, and we'll we'll finish with this is uh, if there's a recommendation or a piece of art uh, of any sort that uh, has most impacted you recently. I I can't say that I have a specific one other than, you know, we have a really incredible art studio and art gallery here on campus. So, I mean, right outside of this room, we have our art gallery, our open um, display that we have several artists come through and our art students uh, have different displays. And I wish I could tell you the title of it. Um, we ha- they had a beautiful display. I even took a picture of it and I had a, I have it on my phone as like a wallpaper because um, it was just so fascinating. It was more of a, almost like a Elizabethan type background, very coloristic, um, but it had some modern flares. So depending on how you look at it, you know, you see the, the beauty of elegance, but then you can see some of the treachery or darkness that can happen you know i like that those dualities you know things that you depending on how you're feeling that day you can look at it and see it differently so that's the type of things that attract me so i wish i could tell you the exact you know this was it was this by this person anything with that complexity it sounds like is your yeah i like something that makes me think or just pulls me in and I'm like, wow, wow, you know. As always, great to catch up with Jillian, both here in the interview and at PASIC. I got a chance to not only see the panel there, but I caught up with her afterwards at the PAS Diversity booth on the exhibit floor. I look forward to keeping up with Jillian as she progresses onward in her career. This week's rave is a visit I made a couple of weeks ago back to one of the most important musical places of my life, the Long Island Youth Orchestra, or LIO. This past summer, I was in New York when I found out that the founder of the Long Island Youth Orchestra, Martin Drywitz, passed away and was able to get to his funeral service and catch up with some old friends. A couple of months ago, I found out through the Long Island Youth Orchestra Facebook page that they were doing a reunion concert in honor of Martin, featuring members of the youth orchestra from its inception in the early 60s. Fortunately for me, it was during winter break, so I could go back and play with my old group. The Long Island Youth Orchestra was a group that I was the principal timpanist for my senior year of high school in 1992 and 93, and a group that I was able to tour with over many parts of the globe in the summers of 1993 and 94. I should also note that there are two connections to the ensemble I've made through this podcast. Rich Holly, who's currently at NC State, was a member of the group in the early 1970s, and horn player Peter Rubens, the husband of University of Texas at San Antonio percussion professor Sherry Rubens, was in the group in the late 70s and early 80s. I later found out through Facebook that the daughter of a good friend of mine from high school, her name is Anna Elias, was also performing currently in the group. Long Island Youth Orchestra was a massively important catalyst for pushing me towards a career in music and in percussion, so it felt right to honor it by going back. 
and it was wild to be back. We were rehearsing in the same cramped space at Long Island University Post in their rehearsal hall, and that was a jolt back to the past when I had less weight and more hair. The literature included a lot of past classics that were some of Drywitz's favorites, including The Dance of the Hours from La Gioconda by Amokare Panchielli, played the bell part on that, a tremendous performance of the opening movement of Pyotr Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto by a high school student, Emma Ergen, the evening prayer and dream pantomime from Hansel and Gretel by Engelbert Humperdinck, which was a personal favorite of mine from my time in Lyo, and for the purposes of this audience, the Robert Russell Bennett arrangement of selections from Porgy and Bess by George Gershwin. Just for clarification, this version has that famous xylophone part, but it's shorter and a step lower than the original version that every classical percussionist has heard and or played a million times in their life and or their sleep. And I played that part, actually, and I thought I did pretty well. It was a lot of fun reconnecting with a few folks from my time in the group, as well as making some new friends and colleagues. I hope that under the current leadership of Long Island Youth Orchestra President Stephen Baer, who I knew from my time there, and music director and conductor Scott Dunn, who I met this past summer, the group continues to flourish in its current form and continues to create a springboard for not only junior musicians, but music lovers who still play. But they also do things like, I don't know, be audiologists, neurologists, lighting designers in Hollywood, real estate tycoons, and press managers for record labels, among many other things. It was a blast to go, and I was happy to be back and you know what? For you all, go do that. Go visit those places that formed your career and reconnect with those folks. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at PeteSperkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time.